Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Reading from Acts chapter 19. Now through into verse 20. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? It's interesting, isn't it? They use Jesus' name, but they do not know him. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Friends, I want this morning to open up this part of God's word for us. Open open it up for us by using a large brush, a broad brush. I, I think the, the preacher has to use different tools at different times, doesn't he? Sometimes the preaching needs to wield a scalpel. It's got to be like a knife. Sometimes it has to be like uh, a rifle, a single bullet firing. Sometimes the preacher has to use a fine detailed brush. We, we go slow and up close and we go, we drill down deep into what God is saying. 
But at other times in preaching, I think a big canvas and a broad brush is helpful. I think in the book of Acts we've been going fairly up close recently. So for us today, something slightly different, the big picture. Because there is a beautiful phrase, a beautiful phrase at the end of our passage that reflects back across all of what we've looked at. This today, I hope, helps us to read narrative in the Bible, story in the Bible. Think think of all the different parts of what we've seen here. Paul has been in Antioch, he's been in Ephesus, Paul sailing throughout the Mediterranean, visiting all these different places in ancient Greece, encountering all these different types of people and different types of situations. But Luke has put them all together as part of one big story. He wants to show us something. Chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Friends, don't miss that little word, so, right at the start of the verse. Therefore, so is a storyteller's word. In other words, because of all of this, because of everything you've read, because of what I've been showing you, so this happened. The word of the Lord increased and mightily prevailed. Paul in Antioch, Apollos sitting down at the end of chapter 18 in a two-to-one Bible study. Paul in Ephesus, the sons of Sceva, this strange story about exorcism. Do you know what you're looking at, says Luke, every time running all the way through this? Do you know, can you see it? Every time, in every scene, I am painting for you a picture. The word of the Lord is on the rampage through the ancient world, increasing, growing, triumphing, prevailing mightily. So today as we look at this, there are four things to see here. What do you see when God's word is increasing, prevailing throughout the world? You see four things. Number one, God is in charge. Number two, accuracy is prized. Number three, confusion is corrected. And number four, Jesus is exalted. Jesus is exalted. God is in charge. Accuracy is prized. Confusion is corrected. And Jesus is exalted. Brothers and sisters, today I want you to believe these things with me. God's word will prevail. It will succeed. It will conquer. It will reign. Where we believe, number one, God is in charge, not us. Number two, for the rest of your life, prize accuracy. Prize accuracy. Number three, correct confusion and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and in your mind and in in our midst, in our church family, in our new building, in our city. If we do those things, God's word will increase. God's word will multiply. It will mightily prevail. Think about where we are in the book of Acts. Chapter 19 we've reached. What is it that took 11 scared, terrified men cowering in a in an upper room, took them and transformed them into this world-changing, world-conquering movement through the gospel of the Lord Jesus? What is it that changed them? Four things did that. Four convictions. Four, four things happened to take us to chapter 19, verse 20. Number one, God is in charge. 
God is in charge. That is what these men knew. That's what they believed. You see, God's word triumphs mightily when you know that the increase of the word and the the triumph of the word is in God's hands, not my hands. Can I just repeat this? What have we been saying throughout Acts? Who gives the growth? The preacher? The missionaries? The gospel workers? No, God. What have we seen? Remember the last few chapters? The Spirit did not allow Paul to enter. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. I have many in this city who are my people. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Luke is wanting us to see just stitched into all these stories below the surface of our lives, way back in eternity in ways that we can't begin to fathom or imagine. God is working and working out his gospel through the world. All of the things, all of the things that are most important for us to accomplish in life, we are powerless to do. It's an amazing truth. The things that we we most have to do we are unable to do. We need God to be at work. And look, here it is again for us. Chapter 18, verses 18 down to 23. Here is Paul sailing for Syria. Verse 18. He is with dearly loved brothers and sisters. They love him. Verse 20. Imagine them kind of holding on to him. They are longing for Paul to stay with, with them for longer. Longing for it. And what does, what does the text say? What does Paul say? I will return to you. Three words. If God wills. God is in charge, Paul is saying. Oh, oh, Paul has his plans. Make no mistake. Paul is ambitious for the gospel. Rightly ambitious. He is longing to take the gospel to Rome. He wants the gospel to grow all over the world. He, He loves these believers. No one wanted to sow the word and plant the word and grow the word and see the increase of the word like Paul. No one wanted it like him. But who does he know is in charge of it all? God. Many pastors and churches come to grief because we want the increase of the word. Oh, we work for it and we pray for it and we long for it and we think it's all down to us. We forget that growth and triumph is not if we will, but if God wills. Oh, the comfort and the challenge and the hope and the joy of all that is being in God's hands, not ours. We've learned this, haven't we, in a new way these past months as a church family and in God's people all over the world. Hasn't God been teaching us to say in a very new, deep, painful way, hasn't he been teaching us to say, not my plans, O Lord, but yours. What are you doing for holiday these next few weeks? Your plans for university or school or job? If God wills. If God wills. The word increases when God's servants do God's work, not for him, but with him. He doesn't need us, but we work with him, joyfully resting in the fact that he is in charge of what happens to all our work. Friends, those three words, if God wills, may bring you pain. There is a world of pain inside those inside those words at times. We cannot see what God is doing. Th- these days of lockdown, a friend very early on said to me, 
churches and church leaders need to be prepared that we are entering winter. And it will be winter for quite a long time. Who knows when all of this will end. We're moving, hopefully, to being back to worshipping together again in some form. It will not be like it was. Things will be different. Preach the word, pastors are told, in season. And I think we are in days of out of season, perhaps days of winter and hardship for God's people in different ways. My job to you is faithfulness. God's job is the increase, the growth. Never lose heart, friends, in the midst of what will one day we look back on as a time of of winter. Never lose heart, for all of it is in God's hands, so that we learn to say with joy and thanksgiving, my times are yours and in your hands, and it is as you will, Lord. The increase of the word happens when God's people know God is in charge, number one. Number two, it happens when accuracy is prized. Accuracy is prized. Again, friends, I want to give you broad brush here. Two strange incidents here. Apollos in Ephesus, verses 24 to 28. And then Paul in Ephesus, chapter 19, 1 to 10. And each time we see the word of the Lord triumphing and growing... Look at both of them. How does it happen here with Apollos? Well, just look at the details. How is Apollos described? A native of Alexandria, Apollos came to Ephesus. Look at the description. He was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. He had been taught in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit and he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. There is a lot to like about Apollos, isn't there? Exactly the kind of man you want speaking on the big platform. He looks great on TV, Apollos. He's surely going to get a big book deal, be a big name. He's in demand. He's fervent, passionate, eloquent. Words flow from his lips like silk. He teaches more than this accurately about Jesus. And yet, friends, not accurately enough. Do you notice? Not accurately enough. Verses 25 and 26, he he doesn't seem to know about Pentecost and the gift of the Spirit. He knows about John, he knows about Jesus. Now, I think here, unlike the disciples in Ephesus that we're going to come to, the next section, chapter 19, unlike the disciples in Ephesus, Apollos does know about Jesus, but he does not know everything about him. I think Apollos is a Christian, whereas these first disciples in Ephesus have not yet become Christians. And this husband and wife team, there they are, imagine them listening to Apollos. They're listening to him speak boldly in the synagogue. They're thinking to themselves, yep, that's good. Yep, that's good. That's good. Hang on. He's missed something. He's missed something. There's something not quite right here. Accurate, but not accurate enough. And they... It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Take him aside. Take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Friends, there is a lot to like about Apollos. And as a preacher, there is a lot to like about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila as well. I I love that phrase, taking him aside. It's a gentle word in the ear. There is no public humiliation, no upbraiding of him. Just an open Bible and a request for a coffee, maybe later in the week. Can we sit down and talk about this? They show us, don't they? Priscilla and Aquila show us that accuracy with the scriptures is to be prized. 
and cherished and sought. If the word of the Lord is to increase and prevail. Look what it leads to, verse 28. Look what happens after Apollos joins up all the dots and gets the whole picture. Verse 28, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Oh, Priscilla and Aquila's time and care with one person, their investment in one person like that. Look what he becomes, a powerful teacher and preacher of God's word. I want to come back to this in just a moment. Just look at the same thing in the third point. Confusion is corrected. Confusion is corrected. This is chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Here are some disciples in Ephesus who have not received the Holy Spirit when they believed. Now, some people today say that what's happening here is this is pointing to what is known as the second blessing of the Holy Spirit, that You can become a Christian and believe in Jesus, but you need to be baptized later on in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you spend years in this first state and God gives you the gift of the Spirit. You're baptized in this second state, a second blessing. But no, I I think here, like Apollos, we are dealing here with unique times in the spread of the gospel where the news about the Lord Jesus is simply spreading through the ancient world at different times and by different people and at different speeds so that not everybody is learning everything there is to learn at the same time, altogether. I think it is clear from verse 4, if you look at it, that these people know something, but they don't yet know about Jesus. Paul said, John baptized, verse 4, with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you don't know about Jesus, then whatever you believe, you are not a Christian. And so this is their first time conversion. And again, it is all verse 20 that Luke wants us to see happening. The word of the Lord increasing and prevailing mightily. The word is triumphing here. How is it triumphing? By Paul correcting their confusion. Look what he does next, verse 8. Put your eyes on verses 8, 9 and 10 and just look at all the verbs attached to speaking the word. He spoke, bold, persuaded. Down in the end of verse 9, he reasoned daily. This continued for two years so that all the residents of the word of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You see, it's speaking, reasoning, persuading, teaching, so that all hear the word of the Lord. Oh, friends, today, as you're listening to this on screen, and this is so hard for all of us, isn't it? As a church family at Trinity, isn't it true of us? We love learning in community. Here I am speaking to a camera in my study and more than I can tell you I miss speaking to you in person face to face looking out on a gathered church family on a Sunday your faces in front of me is everything but more than just your faces in front of me so what I miss is your faces in front of me with Bibles on laps open Bibles on a screen or a tablet or in paper and turn together seated together so much easier than off a screen concentration goes maybe it's already gone this morning people wander in and out of rooms if your house is anything like my house but can you hear what Luke is saying to us even in these difficult 
unusual days of online viewing and learning, can we hear what Luke is saying? Friends, prize accuracy. Treasure correction. Love the word being reasoned out in front of you, persuaded, taught. Prize accuracy accuracy in the Bible teaching you listen to and love confusion being corrected. Be a church member who loves those things. And we will see the word of the Lord increasing and triumphing and prevailing mightily. I've said it so many times, I will keep saying it, hopefully until the day I die, as long as God gives me breath. That new building that we will enter, the most important part of that building It's not the cafeteria, it's not the large halls, it's not the flat at the top that will give us trainees and interns, it's not the beautiful new foyer, the entrance, it's not sparkling granite on the outside, it's not a waterproof, watertight roof. It is the pulpit. It is the place where the word puts down roots into all our lives, where we grow, where we hear God speak, where we listen. Oh, friends, be a church member. Let us be a church family that prizes the teaching of the word above all things. Bible open in front of us, pens out. What did you just say, David? Hang on a second. Is that right? Let me check. Let me look. Are you sure? Now, I guess now as you're watching, you can pause me, can't you? You can press pause. You can rewind, go back, check, listen again. But wherever we listen, however we do it, for the rest of our life, friends, check, listen, correct if need be, question, ask, antennae up all the time. Is what you are hearing accurate? Is it what the Bible teaches? Is it the whole Bible? And if you are confused, seek to have your confusion corrected. If you think I'm confused, help me to be corrected. One preacher said that the story of Apollos here is the story of how an ordinary couple with a Bible sorted out the public speaking superstar. I love that. It's true, isn't it? An ordinary couple with a Bible sorted out the preaching superstar. And Apollos, conversely, Apollos simply shows us, doesn't he, a man with immense gifts who was humble enough to accept instruction. It is God's word that straightens out clever people, not the other way around. It's not clever people that straighten out the ideas of the Bible. Very important to get that the correct way. If you never ever change your thinking because of the Bible, if you never listen to a sermon and think, I have, I've got to make a change. I, what I've been doing is wrong and that is right. Or I, I need to do this instead. Or you find new love growing in your heart. That is the main thing I, I long for in preaching. Not, not new actions, but first of all, new loves, new desires. If that never, ever happens to you, if you never change your thinking or living because of the Bible, you can be sure that in time you will change the Bible because of your thinking always what happens in time you will change the bible because of your thinking no not that long ago at trinity i'm not going to tell you who this was many of you will uh, know this person but not long ago at trinity I, i i preached a sermon and i had someone come to see me after in the week and this person said very lovingly very gently i need to tell you that i think something was missing in your sermon 
And as I listened, I realised he was right. I'd been so happy about it, thought it was thought it was so on the mark, so so clear. And yet, what he said to me was painful. I had to look at it, and I had to say, I need to put that right next time I teach on it. I think what you've said hits the mark. It is more accurate. And if I teach like that, it will lead to less confusion. I think, friends, that kind of shared endeavour leads to the increase of the word. Because it leads, doesn't it, most of all, it leads to just a little bit less of me, a decrease of me and more of the Bible. You get more of God's word, not less that way. Prize accuracy. Correct confusion. Know that God is in charge. Number four. To finish with this, Jesus is exalted. Jesus is exalted. Friends, the word of the Lord never increases without the glory of the Lord growing and being seen. They always go hand in hand. This is chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. You know, again, I think it would be easy to get lost in the details here, the, the extraordinary miracles, to think that what we need today is miracles, exorcisms, when in fact, again, I think it is all about verse 20. It is the word increasing Luke wants us to see. All of these things in 11 to 20 led to this one thing. And in fact, it's not the miracles or the exorcisms that's the thing that leads to the word increasing. What is it? Verse 17. It became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The name of the Lord Jesus was exalted. What, what, what happens here in verse 13? Some people, these seven sons of a Jewish high priest, they try to use Jesus instead of turning to Jesus, don't they? They think he's like a magic charm. Here is religious power. Let's use his name. Jesus can get us noticed. Jesus can buy us a seat at the table. They just use him. They don't bow the knee to him as king. And it all goes wrong for them. But the end result, verse 17, the end result is that the name of Jesus is lifted up. Friends, the word of the Lord is increasing here because Jesus is being exalted bit by bit by bit above every other power that there is. It it doesn't have to be miracles or sickness or exorcism of evil spirits today. It is just as miraculous today when people find the Lord Jesus in the midst of paganism or secularism or atheism or sexual sin or find the Lord Jesus in the midst of lives where they were brought up as Christians but wandered away and eventually come back and know him maybe for the first time. I want to encourage you today, friends, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. Exalt him in your home. Exalt him in your speech to other people. Share him. Simply be quick to speak about the Lord Jesus. And the word of the Lord will increase and prevail. Exalt Jesus and his word will triumph. That's how it works. You know, I've told you before, I know at Trinity I've mentioned Rosaria Butterfield. You've heard me mention her several times. She was a lesbian professor of English literature and women's studies at a university in the United States. She was a seasoned writer, an advocate of queer theory. She was politically leftist. Her life was happy, meaningful and full. 
exactly the kind of person we would look at today and say, how on earth will somebody like that ever become a believer? Not only was she like that in her lifestyle, she says this, I despised Christians. I despised Christians. And then she says, somehow I became one. Somehow I became one. The word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk, she says. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. I hated him. I despised him and yet I couldn't seem to evade him. Those people who professed his name commanded my pity and my wrath. What happens to a woman like that as people around her who love the Lord Jesus exalt him and speak about him tenderly, lovingly, with adoration in their heart and lips? She's written a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It is worth your time and your thought. Because what happened is that through a long and a lovely, a long and lovely chain of events, I guess much more like Priscilla and Aquila, who just take somebody aside and spend time with them. She met people like that. And through her own Priscilla and Aquila friends, she came to know and love the same Lord Jesus that they did. Through these events, she began to read the Bible. I devoured it the way a glutton devours food. And as I devoured it, I fought with everything I had. I did not want this. I did not ask for this. Then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus open-handed and naked. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. And then she says this, Jesus triumphed. Jesus triumphed. And I was a broken mess. My conversion, she says, was a train wreck. Friends, the triumph of God's word through the world so often causes immense pain like this. Immense heartache as men and women, boys and girls, have to climb down off the throne of their lives and say that you are king. You are the one who should be exalted, not me. I've spent my entire life putting me up here on a throne, but you, Lord Jesus, you are king. I want to encourage you today, my dear church family, church family who I'm missing more than I can say, as we long for days of being together again, of having the Bible alive in our midst physically, being able to care for one another and see one another. Can I encourage you today God is in charge. He holds it all in his hands. Exalt the Lord Jesus with your, with everything you have, your heart, your mind, your speech. Love him and treasure him. Speak of him often. For those who teach and preach the Bible, pray for them for accuracy, for love of the scriptures, for confusion to disappear and be dispelled as the Bible is taught. Friends, as all of these things happen, so again the word of the Lord will increase. It will triumph mightily and it will prevail in our midst. So may it be. So may God help us and bless us. Send his spirit and may we know him and love him all our days. Amen.